Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Amen. Okay, so we just connected with our Philadelphia family. We're one church in two cities. Come on, Chicago, let's put our hands together for Pastor Josh and Susie and all of the people we love in Philadelphia. We were there this past week. We had not just a a powerful Sunday, but we had such an awesome breakthrough prayer meeting. It was really, really uh, powerful. Um, We had a special guest speaker, traveling evangelist, came from all around the world, Chrissy Toledo, and she brought the word on Tuesday, and it was powerful. Hallelujah. Actually, I want to refer to her message today um, because of, of how much it aligns with today's message. And uh, we're on this series out of the book of Mark titled Walking in Power. How many people want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen. So we, we, um, we covered, it took us two Sundays. We covered chapter one. Today we're going to cover chapter two. And this whole chapter actually covers different examples of what I'm going to call the same pressure point, okay? Um, It's covering like spiritual, mental, emotional pressure points. And God is giving us a, through four stories, I'm only speaking on one, but he's giving us a 360 perspective on his heart, on, on the way he wants to work versus... Uh, what you see here is there's this constant pushback. Everybody say pushback. So there's this constant pushback going on against Jesus in in Mark chapter 2, and they're pushing back against him. They're pushing back of, of his, uh, against his heart, and, and they're pushing back against his work. How many know if you want to walk with in power, you have to walk with Jesus and you have to work with Jesus. So there are a lot of things that in this world and in this life, uh, um, we're like, man, I don't understand God. But if you want to walk in power, you have to line up with God. In fact, the Bible says that we are literally co-laborers. If you're a Christian, you are called to be a co-laborer with Christ. Everybody say, I am a co-laborer. Yes, look, it says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And all of us, when we're walking in power, we are co-working with Jesus. How many want to co-work with Jesus this week? That's the way you walk in power. And this story really kind of unfolds a very important, let's call it theological perspective. Remember, guys, I've said this before, 
Good theology always comes, and theology is the study of God in the narrow sense and God in the broad sense when it comes to all of the Bible. But good theology, it comes down from who God is to us. Bad theology rises from who we are to him. So a lot of times people make up a lot of stories or they come up with perspectives not based on who God is and what he reveals to us, but based on our understanding and what we think about him. You understand? So this is kind of one of those moments where people were pushing back. Like I said, there are four different stories. One story, they're saying, Jesus, why don't your disciples keep the Sabbath? And like, why don't they keep the rules? Keep the rules. And Jesus is like, you guys are all focused on rules and you guys are focused on human effort. Don't you realize that I gave the Sabbath to man so he could learn how to rest in me? Sabbath is about rest. It's not not about rule keeping. In another story, they say, why don't your disciples fast? They should not be eating. He goes, I'm here. They should be rejoicing. Don't you realize that when you're in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy? Anybody happy to be rejoicing in the presence of God? He was like, you guys don't get it. In another story, he's, he calls Levi, the tax collector who no one wanted, and then he goes to his house and he's meeting with all of his friends. And once again, religious people, remember, these are religious people who are pushing back and they're saying, why are you with them? And Jesus was like, you guys don't get it. You don't get it. He said, I came for the sick. I didn't came for those who think they got it all together because that's the heart of God. And now I wanna read this story because this story applies to us particularly. This story will teach us how to walk in power. So Mark chapter two, beginning with verse one. Take the cap off if you wanna drink. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such, in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by, uh, by uh, four of them, and since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. These people tore up a house. Okay, by digging through it and then lowered the mat, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now watch the pushback. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That is a great question. Who can forgive sin but God alone? So is there any person in history other than Jesus that can actually forgive sin? Nobody can forgive sin except Jesus because Jesus paid it all. Anybody happy that Jesus paid it all? Hallelujah. When you're talking to people about Jesus, that's always a great question to ask. Who can forgive sin? 
right? And if the person says, well, I don't have sin, I don't believe in sin, well, now you know what you need to talk to them about. Say, come on, bro, wake up. You understand? And so who can forgive sin except God exactly? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Everybody say authority. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so this is, uh, again, one of four stories, and this is a unique story. All of them have pushback, but in this particular story, what happens is, as these, is that these four guys get someone, I don't know how much, how well they knew him. The Bible doesn't really say how well they knew him. They just, he was paralyzed. They put him on a mat. They carried him. They had to carry him to this house. And when they carried him to this house, there were so many people there and and they couldn't get him in. So they take him up. They climbed up the side of the house. They went to the roof. They dug a hole in the roof. They put, a, could you imagine that scene where the dirt is falling? I bet you some dirt fell on Jesus when it was all happening. They lower him down, and the first thing that Jesus does is he forgives him. He not only forgave him, he healed him, but the first thing he does is he forgives him. And this story teaches us that if we want to walk in power, that if we want to see the greatness and the glory of God, if we want to experience the anointing of God, and by the way, what I want to say to you, talk to you about today, I believe is one of the greatest releases of the tangible anointing of God, okay? If you want to walk in power, you have to walk in mercy. You have to walk in mercy. Everybody say, I want to walk in mercy. If you want to walk in power right out of the chute, after God affirms you and you receive mercy, after you receive mercy, how many know we need to walk in mercy? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack what it means to walk in mercy. Why would these people push back when Jesus says, I forgive your sins? It's because some people are pushing back against mercy. But a child of God, we walk in mercy because we know that when we walk in mercy, the power of God flows. Always know this. If you will walk in mercy, the power of God will flow through your life. 
I was sharing this with the staff earlier before we pray. I was saying, I have noticed over the years after being in the ministry now for over 30 years, but this is from the moment I became a Christian. I have noticed that I feel the anointing whenever I'm engaging with someone and I start talking about Jesus's power to forgive. When I start to exalt the blood of Jesus, I literally feel the presence of God. You want to feel God's presence? You want to feel God draw near to you? Lift up the mercy of Jesus. And so, if you want to walk in power, it all begins by walking in mercy. And we're going to unpack this here. But let's lift our our hearts. Let's lift our hands. Come on in Philadelphia. Philadelphia needs mercy. Chicago needs mercy. Because wherever God's mercy is, God's power is there also. Hallelujah. Power to heal, power to restore, power to renew and transform. But it all begins with his mercy. So, Father, we thank you for this day. And, God, we thank you that we are recipients of mercy. And God, while we're on this earth, Lord, we don't want to waste time. We want to make the most of our days. So, Lord, would you teach us in Philadelphia, in Chicago, teach us to walk in mercy. Teach us to understand. Teach us to know what it means to walk in mercy. Because when we walk in mercy, you release your power. And I thank you, God, that you want to release power to families today. I thank you, God. You want to release power to relationships today, oh God. God, I thank you that you want to bring transformation all around us, and it all begins with mercy, with your forgiving our sins, and you are the only one. So, Father, we thank you. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up our minds and our hearts past what we grew up with, past what we think, past what we know. Open our eyes to receive great revelation today so that we could walk in mercy. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. 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 So if you want to walk in power, you need to walk in mercy. You need to attach to mercy. Mercy opens up the power of God to flow Mercy is a wonderful display of power. You know, I didn't realize this, but someone told me that today um, the Jewish faith begins to celebrate mercy because today in the evening starts the, the, uh, the season of atonement. They're celebrating the Day of Atonement. In the Old Testament, they would once a year celebrate the fact that our sins could be paid for. Can we celebrate the fact that Jesus paid, for, paid it all? He paid for Come on, put your hands together right now. Come on, celebrate the mercy of God. Hallelujah. Everyone needs mercy. Every single person needs mercy. Amen? Hallelujah. And God wants you and I to walk in mercy. Now, let me say this very quickly as I'm setting this up and then I'll apply it. I want you to know there were four types of people at this. We're going to call this house the house of mercy. There are four types of people at the house of mercy. First of all, there were those who were wanting to receive from Jesus. 
And that's great, that's fine. And when you come to the Lord, it's okay always wanting to receive from the Lord because he's our source, he's our strength, he's our life. Give us this day our daily bread. Everything comes from him, every good and perfect gift. So it's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to receive from Jesus, but when you wanna walk in power, you have to go past just wanting to receive. You see, some people never graduate in their Christianity past just wanting to, they come to church to receive. Why do you go to church? Just to get, to get from Jesus. How many know God has more? You see, the other group was, they were just there to watch. Okay, some people said, yo, you gotta come with me Right, maybe someone was evangelizing and said, you gotta come with me because uh, uh, there's a man who is walking around healing people, doing miracles. He's doing all sorts of things and he's the most amazing preacher you ever heard. His words will change your life. And they came like just to watch and it's okay if you wanna come to watch and you're kind of inquiring, but I wanna encourage you if you're here just to watch, if you're watching online and you're here just to watch, like it's the right thing to do to, to go to church on Sunday, can I tell you something? There is life and joy and peace and power available to you. There is so much more. Then thirdly, there were those who wanted to push back. It's always amazing to me how time and time passes and how people take it upon themselves. Uh, we're just these, we're just little old human beings and maybe somebody gets a degree or maybe someone's a little bit successful. And you know, some people, they become successful at this and then they think they're an expert of everything. No one is an expert of, of eternal life except Jesus. And so they were there, they were the skeptics and they were pushing back and pushing back and they were the saddest of them all. And then lastly, there were those who brought that man to mercy. Who was walking in power? The people who brought the man to mercy. That's who was walking in power. Now, I want to encourage you when you think about your Christianity and some of us come, look, I'm teaching you a lot of stuff. Stick with me. It'll be two quick application points. Uh, um, but many of us battle with this kind of pharisaical thinking, this spiritual thinking of who is good enough and who is worthy of Jesus. Can I tell you something? No one is good enough starting with me. You see, and so, so no matter what anyone does, no matter where they've been, no matter what state they're in today, can I tell you something? In your mind, you might say they're unworthy, but in God's mind, he loves them and he died for them and he wants us to get that person to mercy. So I heard there's this new phrase uh, called gatekeeping. They say, yo, where, where, where'd, you get those, uh, where'd you get those sneakers? And you're like, oh, I don't want to share. And they say, stop gatekeeping, right? So it's a kind of modern term. But listen to what the Pharisees were gatekeeping. And spiritually, a lot of people gatekeep. You gatekeep yourself and you gatekeep other people if you don't understand mercy, which we're going to talk about in a moment. 
So this is the activity of controlling and usually limiting general access to something when someone takes it upon themselves to decide who does or who does not have access or rights to a community or an identity. I'm here to declare to you, if someone is alive, Jesus loves them. If someone is alive, Jesus died for them and Jesus wants them and God wants to use us to walk in mercy. He wants us to walk in mercy. I'm gonna tell you, your heart will change, your disposition will change, your grumpiness will go away. Some people, you know why you're grumpy? It's because you don't walk in mercy. Stop being so grumpy and get happy about the work of Jesus Christ on the earth, hallelujah. The Bible says he is rich in mercy, amen? So we as Christians, we don't, we don't gatekeep. We bring people into the gate. All right, so walking in power is walking in mercy. And when we walk in mercy, number one, we understand mercy. When we walk in mercy, we understand mercy. Mercy is God forgiving us even though we don't deserve it. Plain and simple. Mercy is God deciding not to give you and I what we deserve. So what mercy does is mercy in this picture, in this story, is mercy first forgives and then mercy goes even further. He not only doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. So if you're here and you're like in conflict in your relationship with God right now, if you're watching online in Philadelphia, you feel stuck. You're like, I can't be that close to God. Or you feel like, you know what? God doesn't want to be that close to me. And you have all of these, all of these, these suggestions inside of you. You have to understand the heart of God. God wants to forgive. God wants to restore. He's rich in mercy. And the child of God embraces that, first of all, for themselves. Notice that even though there were people there who wouldn't have healed him, he not only healed him, he restored him. Amen. Listen to, to uh, 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 um, what the Bible says in Matthew 9. This is, this is in Matthew. He says this in Mark, but I like the way he says this in Matthew. Listen to this. He said, go and learn. Everybody say, go and learn. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire everyone mercy. What does God want? Mercy. Okay, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. John Stott said this, if I withhold mercy, I have lost touch with the gospel. When we withhold mercy, we've lost touch with the good news of Jesus. I have lost touch with God's undeserved kindness and pardon. We have to understand that mercy is the heart of God. And whatever you're dealing with, if you want to walk in power, you have to walk in everyone. You have to walk in mercy. You have to understand. So look, that person that you're angry with, what do they need? Yes. 
And by the way, you need mercy and they need mercy. How many know everybody needs mercy? Mercy will heal your soul. Mercy will heal your emotional state of being because you won't carry it anymore. You will release it to God. How many would say amen? Amen. James chapter 2 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is victorious. Even though someone deserves it, even though you and I deserve it, mercy has victory over the judgment we deserve. That's what the cross is all about. The cross is mercy triumphing over judgment. When we start to understand that God won the battle for us, mercy is what makes the world go round. Look, in the Old Testament, when God gave this planet what it deserved, here's what he did. He sent a flood. And that flood wiped everyone out except for one family. And God put that picture in the, in, the, in the scriptures so that you and I, if you ever think that you're better than someone else, you're completely off. If you ever think that you're more worthy than someone else, I'm telling you right now, your thinking is completely off because no one is righteous, not even one. Without the blood of Jesus, without Jesus being the ark for us, we are done. Now here's something that you need to understand about mercy. Even though mercy triumphs over judgment, mercy does not dilute, deny, or violate the truth. Okay, we, we, this moment we're trying to understand mercy, okay? So C.S. Lewis said, mercy detached from justice grows unmerciful. And a lot of people, they do not get the freedom and the healing and the victory that they want. And it's because they don't understand mercy. So here's what mercy is not. Mercy is not the mom. I grew up in a neighborhood like this. Mercy is not the mom who defends their rascal son over and over and over and over and over again. And everybody in the whole neighborhood knows that this dude is like a no good, low down, dirty, rotten scoundrel. But she stands in front and says, not my son, my son didn't do anything wrong. Right, maybe you come from that philosophy. Hey, in this family, family goes over the truth. Family is above the truth. Family's more important than the truth. Blood is thicker than water. And you believe that. And can I tell you something? It's nonsense. Because when you do that, you're not helping the person who's living in darkness and in the lie. You gotta bring them to real mercy. So I know I'm messing with stuff now, right now. I know people don't like that example. But listen, you cannot uh, dilute or deny, dilute or deny the truth. Jesus came so that we could deal with the truth. You see, and when you deal with the truth, I have sinned then he's rich in mercy. How many would say amen? Amen. So mercy addresses sin through the work of Christ. I've heard someone use this phrase, unsanctified mercy. 
And that's when, oh, God loves everyone. God loves everyone. Yes, God loves everyone, but that doesn't mean that God overlooks sin. You see? It doesn't mean that, that, that it's like, oh, you live however you want to live and you don't take advantage of God's everyone mercy. Now, let me just say this. I got a running joke with someone I love dearly, you know, and um, I'm always saying, you never know. You might see that person in heaven. You never know. Do you know I spoke once to the son of Sam? You know, anybody here know who the son of Sam is? Okay, well, for all of you who don't know, when I was about 10 years old, there was a guy who terrorized New York City. He terrorized the city. And as soon as it would start to get dark, I would run upstairs. Now, he was only killing women, but I didn't care. I was, I just, I was just like... He killed so many women and it was just, he was so dark. He was, he was under, literally under the power of Satan. And so they finally caught him. I remember when they caught the son of Sam, the whole city was relieved. Women were dying their hair because I think it, if it was blondes that he would, and then they were, women were dying their hair black. I mean, it was just terrorizing. He literally brought the city to their knees. Well, he goes into prison and some crazy guy who walked in power right in the prison kept talking to the son of Sam about mercy and got him about Bible and one day son of Sam gets on his knees and he accepts Jesus and he stands up a son of hope a son of love a son of mercy and now he's a chaplain in prison now he's a minister of the gospel hallelujah because where sin did abound grace did even more abound And I was at my father-in-law's house when he called and I, got, I picked up the phone. I spoke to the son of Sam. He was such a nice guy. Later on, he spoke to Pastor Simbla and he said this to Pastor Simbla. He said, man, your son-in-law, he's got a good spirit. I'm like, oh snap, the son of Sam is telling me I got a good spirit. <laughs> so look, I want to tell you, this is an interesting story. I didn't know this, but in some place right next to Oak Park, I, I forget the name, Al Capone is, is buried right next to Oak Park. And if you go to his tombstone, I want, to, I want to show you what his tombstone says. His tomb says, everyone, let's read it together. Come on, read it in Philadelphia. Ready? My Jesus, mercy. Now, we did research. We could not find who got that on there? We have no idea how the most notorious kind of mafia gangster in history, so to speak, how on his tombstone do we see my Jesus mercy? Now, what's unique about this is that I happen to know that, uh, um, that Capone uh, uh, used to have a speakeasy hideout in Carlinville, Illinois. So in Carlinville, Illinois, he would go when he was running and hiding, he would go and party there, and there was this big area. So right next door across the road from his party place, and they would, they would, all kinds of criminal activity would take place there, um, there was a Christian woman who used to pray 
and like point at the field and she would, she would acclaim that field for the glory of God. And she would claim that, that house of ill repute for the glory of God. And I could imagine that this woman was also praying that conviction would fall on that speakeasy. And that those people would say, I got to get right with Jesus. And she would pray and she would pray and she would pray and call upon the name of the Lord. Well, lo and behold, that place in Carlisle right now happens to be the, the, the summer camp that we send our kids twice a year. And the kids for, for, for literally for decades now have been at the same place where they used to party. Kids are going to the altar and saying, I give my life to the Lord. I, I hear the call to ministry. I'm called to the mission field. Many of our kids have been met at that same place that used to be Capone Speakeasy. Because how many know mercy is powerful? God is powerful. And just because Satan holds someone or something right now, that doesn't mean that King Jesus can't take it over. Hallelujah. So here's what I'm hoping. They could send me a keyboard player. Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that when I get to heaven, one of the people that I'm shocked to meet will be Al Capone. I'll be, brother, we got the same name. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if somehow, someway, just like the thief on the cross, Al Capone found mercy? And you know what? He is more than able. Didn't we sing that today? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. So you got to understand mercy. You have to understand the heart of God. And can I tell you, just thinking about that makes your heart softer. Just thinking about that, it, it takes the edge off of your soul towards people. You know, and you start to think about yourself and you, is anybody here grateful that God has been merciful to you? You know, there's no other solution for the deepest issue of our lives than the mercy of Jesus. And that's why I put Jesus next to any person, any philosopher, any leader in history. Jesus towers above them all. Towers above them all because when he came, he brought mercy. Amen. He brought mercy. You're like, man, why don't you give me like three points on how to make more money? Look, that's for later. <laughs> this is what your heart needs. Come on, we need to understand mercy. That's number one. Number two, very quickly here. Okay. When you walk in mercy, right? When you walk in mercy, when you walk in mercy, or when we walk in mercy, we bring people to mercy. 
So understanding mercy is not walking in power yet. You start to walk in power when you make it a goal of your life to bring people to mercy. Your life changes completely. There's a dramatic change when you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to be like one of those four guys. I want to carry someone to the feet of Jesus. How many know that walking, there's a difference between receiving in mercy and then bringing someone to mercy. See, when you start to bring people to mercy, you start to see the power of God. Okay, now theologically speaking, and, and I know that this is, this is a heavy teaching message, but it really applies to your heart. So look, when you're bringing someone to Jesus, you're actually bringing them to the throne room of grace. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4 says. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with, everyone say that word, confidence, so that we may receive, everyone, mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what the guy on the mat found because someone brought him to Jesus. When we, whenever we bring people to Jesus, what we're doing is we're bringing them to the throne of grace. The throne of God, yes, God will sit on his throne and judge at the end of time, but this is the age of mercy and grace. And we have to do everything that we can to get people to to the throne of grace. Pick someone up tonight and carry them if you have to and get them to the throne of grace. Pick someone up who hurt you and carry them to the throne of grace. Because to get them, any person, to the feet of Jesus is to get them to the throne of grace. Why are we on this planet? We're on this planet to bring people to the throne of grace. When you leave here today and people say, man, what'd you learn in church today? You're gonna say, I learned that God wants me to bring people to mercy. And if I will bring people to mercy, I will see the glory of the living God. How many want to see the glory of the living God in Philadelphia? The glory of the living God in Chicago. So Chrissy, when she was sharing, she was saying to, to, uh, to us in, on Tuesday, she was like, look, it's time to activate. Everybody say it's time to activate. It's time for you to wake up, to get active and to bring people, bring people to mercy. 
You know, it's time to get busy for God. Last Sunday, my wife was, went to Starbucks before we got to the church. A lady asked for some money. She said, I got something better. She told her about the Lord. That lady came to church an hour later. We got to hug her. We got to pray over her. I, one of our sisters put her head on the lady's head just like this, and she prayed over her. And there was a powerful transfer of the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God. God, hallelujah. Can I tell you, dads, a house full of mercy is a powerful home. Doesn't deny the truth, but it does exalt mercy. Marriages, a marriage full of mercy is a powerful marriage. Come on, we need a, there's more married people than that. I should have heard you in Philadelphia. <laughs> Come on, Jesus, help us at home, huh? Yes, a marriage filled with mercy is so powerful and so wonderful. Think about this, and I'll close. Look at what it took to bring that man to mercy. They carried him. They had to cut a hole in the roof. They had to let him down. They had to do all of these things. No one knows how far they carried him. No one knows how hard the work was. All we know is they got to see the glory of the living God and they were walking in power. And I'm telling you right now, sometimes the best thing to do is to stop focusing on yourself. Sometimes the best thing to do to get out of the funky place that you find yourself in is to go help someone, bring someone to mercy. How many would say amen? We want to bring people to mercy. Hallelujah. That's why our church should always be packed with people. Philadelphia, we pray, God, pack that place with people. Why? Because your people are so busy bringing other people to mercy. They're not bringing people to Chicago Tabernacle. They're bringing people to Jesus. They're bringing people to mercy. Let's get busy. Bring people to mercy. Listen to this. Philip Yancey said this, by forgiving another, I'm trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By looking past all of it and saying, I just gotta get this person to mercy. Forget about all that stuff. You're like, God is a better justice maker than you are. How many agree with that, amen? So look, right when we prayed this morning, Esther Arthur quoted a verse because we pray every morning for you. We prayed that you would have, a, if you're watching online, we prayed not for a human transaction. We prayed for a spiritual transaction for you. Everybody in Philadelphia, we prayed for a spiritual transaction. Everyone here. Okay, and we prayed that the Bible would come alive. And I want to read this verse to you. Okay, Psalm 110, uh, verse 3, the beginning of it says, Your people, you know what? Let's read this together. Ready? 
Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. When you are walking in power, you are walking in mercy and you are willing. You offer yourself freely and you say, God, use my life to bring someone to mercy. Today is not about me, Lord. Today is about somebody else. How many are ready to make today about somebody else? Today is about me accepting the call to bring mercy. God wants to use us to bring mercy. So look, I'm gonna do, Pastor Josh is gonna come. We're gonna pray for ourselves in a moment. But Pastor Josh, let me just say this. The only way to walk in power is to first receive mercy so that you could walk in mercy. When you walk in mercy, your life is set on fire. But the first thing that you have to do is you have to receive mercy. What, is, what does it mean to become a Christian? If you're watching online, you become a Christian when you finally stop trying in your own self, well, I'm gonna do good enough, I'm trying to do help people. None of those things are enough. Only Jesus can forgive sin. And so it all begins by accepting the mercy of Jesus.